Yo, welcome to Peace of No Mind. My name is Raymond Tanner and this is the podcast where I'll be interviewing amazing individuals as I find out what a peace of mind means to them and some of the valuable lessons they've learned throughout their journey. Each episode has been recorded at a different stage throughout lockdown, pandemic, just overall COVID living. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit me up, subscribe, send it to a colleague, send it to a friend, just send it on and follow me on socials at Peace of No Mind Show on Instagram and Peace of No Mind on Twitter. Anywho, it's been a minute. The man like, the actual man like, Sully Breaks, poet, writer and speaker. And I'll be honest, bro, I've been trying to get you on the show for like a long time. And each time there's been some weird communication issues that have like, it, it, like come in a way and like be like, nah, not today. Well, not tomorrow. In yeah, fact. yeah, yeah, yeah. We had we, we had a bit of a hiccup before at all. What what are you telling me? Like, how have you kind of been coping like over the last few months, man? Where what is it that you've been up to? Like, has it has Corona really come and messed up your plans for this year? Um, I mean, it it created one major kind of stumbling block, but it was like that was something that we just moved past, and I realized as a result of it, it made me reassess a lot of things. Um. To be specific, so um, one of the things I was really into was putting on a lot of shows, specifically my own and for other poets. So I was able to, I was looking for a theatre for a long time that I could I could own, you know what I mean? So cause just because I, I was sick of getting to that space where we booked this theatre uh, this time, wait for this, wait for that. So that was a big thing. Just before Corona hit, I found my own space. I had it, you know, great, great place, a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then, you know the world just did what it did. So that was a major kind of setback for me because I was really focused on making that an opportunity, not just for myself, hmm. but for other people. But then it was like, okay, cool. I sat back and I had a lot of time to sit and I found that with me, when I get time to think, that's when I'm deadly. You know what I mean? I realised that I like, I like to think, you know what I'm saying? So, like if you want the best of me, if you want the lethal injections, you, yeah, have, to come, you have to leave me in my fort. And so I had time to think and that was super productive, man. That was super productive for me. That was really productive for me, just having that time to think. Yeah, and would you say just even the whole idea of like being isolated, let's say, or even like in lockdown, would you say it kind of taught you anything about just yourself? Like, because you, obviously you know that you, you being alone and having time to ruminate with your thoughts, you can become lethal. But did you also learn anything like kind of different or negative about how you might manoeuvre? Um, m- maybe I keep myself a bit too busy. I realise that maybe at some t- not say I like to be productive in it. But sometimes I keep myself busy in the sense that I'm in a lot of places at once, you know, and it made me realise that, yeah, being by myself, like, and then thinking is something that, it, it was something I used to do and it, and it contributed greatly to my career and it shouldn't be something that I, I should lose connection with, you know what I mean? No, I hear that, man. I definitely, so, definitely hear that, man. It definitely is one of those, like, when it forces you to just slow down, you're like, hold mm-hmm. on, a lot of the time I was busying myself with things that I needed to be busy that... You know, and for other people, bro, like for other, and that's what I realized. Not saying you shouldn't commit to other people, but everybody wants you to do something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you try and do as much as possible, but sometimes it's not always productive. 
Yes, it's about saying no when you mean no sometimes. But exactly, you know what? You didn't say no to peace and no mind. So my guy, this is yes, all day. Come on, come on. Um, no, brother. Like I said, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on and a privilege because it's one of those like I, I've, I've, you've been in my periphery for like years, many a moon ago, and I'll go into a bit about that. But um, yeah, just to get you on, and I felt like especially with some of the content and the the, the the topics you touch on, I was like, if there's anyone who needed to be on this, like you should have been on it from a long time ago. But you know what? In, in time, all good things come, I say. Amen, amen. Yeah, there ah. we go. There we go. But look, you're on Peace and No Mind, my guy. And honestly, like every guest that comes on Peace and No Mind brings their own self and brings their whatever it is that particularly the way that they view the world. And I find that super fascinating. But what I really find fascinating is asking the question, what does a peace of mind mean to you and how is it best achieved? First of all, like creative and financial freedom. Like, do you get what I'm saying? Like when I know that I can be creative at my own discretion, yeah? And at the same time, I have money to create the things I want and take care of the people I can, I want to, then I'm kind of like, I feel kind of at peace. You get what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's from a practical standpoint. On a purely emotional standpoint, Peace for me is being able to sit down with like a bunch of comic books, some unseen anime, and just chill all the, throughout the day. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm. Like I, I'm a very simple person. Like my wife always says it. She's always like, "Oh, like you don't like I travel a lot, but she's like you don't like going on holiday to Dubai and all like she's going to Dubai. She's been there bare times. I don't like I I like very like self-contained kind of like emotional fulfillment so yeah i have two kind of layers in it. i live in the real world but in my own world as well there's there's, there's two different kind of like spectrums of, of peace of mind Jeez. and would you say especially when you're talking about self-contained and being lost in anime has that always been the case for you like is that is that kind of have you noticed like growing up like that's always been something you like to do and that's your world away from the actual reality yeah bro like for me like very early on like comic books was like a huge thing for me in it and I mean, and reading in general. So if I put into perspective, I, I read, I read The Hobbit when I was, and this is before like it was popular. I read it when I was in year five, no year six, sorry. You know what I'm saying. Then I went on to read Lord of the Rings when I was in year seven. So reading and fantasy and kind of finding places in my head has always been like a strong grounding for me, especially when I like moved around a lot when I was a child, you know. But it was always one of the, the strong things that always like allowed me to stay grounded. So yeah, it's always been a big a big component of, of who I am and something that I appreciate, you know? Yeah. And it probably fed some of your creative, your tongue, your creative tongue, which has led you on to go and do some crazy work with like spoken word and poetry and just as a writing in general, bro, which I definitely want to get into. But um, you, you were mentioning like, it's growing up, like you, you were, were you originally born in London? Like um, So I was born in North London. So I was born in North London, um, Tottenham, Chase Farm. That's not even that's not even Is that not Bop Bop area? Nah, not even that. It's not even like that. It don't even end there. So I grew up in Tot I was born in Tottenham. Then we moved from there. Then I lived in Ghana for a few years when I was younger. So hey. I lived in Ghana for like three three or four years. Then we came back to England where I lived in South, Bermondsey for a little while. And then we moved to East London where my grandma lives. So then I lived in Isle of Dogs and then I lived in East Ham before finally settling in Wood Green. And then, yeah, Wood Green is kind of where it's like, yeah, that, that's where like I, I tend to represent because that's where I really came into my formulative years, you know what I mean? Which is not far from Tottenham, but yeah, that's that's where it kind of like, that, and that's where I started to become like the Sully that a lot of people know now. Because even, even if it's like, even Sully isn't like, Sully's not, Sully's not your, your, your real name, is it? 
Nah, 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 nah. Bro, that's what I was just doing a little research. It was just like, oh yeah, Sully Brett is like, no, 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 Sully's not his name. Like, where where did Sully come from, bro? Like, what what was that? What was the story behind that Sully breaks? Um, so um, so my government, my birth name is Daryl, but then um, my Muslim name because my my father converted to Islam when we were young. So in so we became Muslim, and I became Muslim. It's Suleiman. So um, no one really used to call me Suleiman. Everyone would call me like um, either Solomon or Sully. So then I started playing basketball, and this was in North London. And then that's where, through playing basketball, um, my coach's brother, he kind of gave me the nickname as a result of my play, you know. I'll say I was decent, innit? You get what I'm saying? <laughs> so he gave, so that was funny, a nickname. Yeah? That was kind of birthed in that part, you get what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And it was one of those, bro. Like, you, you, you then even, what, from basketball, it was like a scholarship to, like, Middlesbrough, right? Yeah, it was it, it it was a bootleg. It was it was it was a UK like bootleg scholarship. You know, what I mean, there wasn't nothing glamorous <laughs> about it. It was just you know, it was just me like pursuing like the basketball with with, with our teammates and stuff, and, and living in Middlesbrough for a year, which 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 was an experience, bro. Mm. Like that's the first time I really saw the world, didn't it? Like not the world, just saw the UK. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Because I've grown up London my whole life. I understood the UK as London. Like, I was going to ask you if there, if there was any experiences that you even like, can either remember, like something that holds... You get, I mean, like the first week we were there, one you chased us with a knife, bro, and it was random because it was like, we shouldn't even be running from because, you know, I'm from London, innit? You get what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's just like, it's just bare, like, sick old people there. Like, yeah. And not, not in Middlesbrough, I'm not speaking to Middlesbrough in general, I'm just talking about the experience we had. And don't forget, when we went into the scholarship, we didn't go into like a student halls or anything like that. They We went for the cheapest accommodation yeah. in the cheapest area we could find. So we was proper like, in, um, I mean, you're seeing like there's, there's, there's drug addicts, you know what I mean? There's prostitutes on the street at a certain time of night. So it was a proper like experience. So by the time I was done there, even when I started uni, I was just like, I just want to go back to London, man. Like I can't deal with like... Mm. Just being like in all these like I'll, I'll call it countryside, isn't it? But it shaped me as an adult. Like I really, yeah, I really learned as an adult. No, I think I think you definitely touched on something as well. Like because I call it the Shire experience. Like coming to like <laughs> <laughs> living in all of these shires, that's, that's bro. It, boy. Like that's when you really operate and you can work out like that. Not everyone around you sees the world very similar. Like I literally. Feel, and I, I, th the fact that I even said that, I think that's such a privileged way of thinking that I say to people sometimes and that growing up in London, having a friend of like Afghani heritage um, to, um, like I said, Portuguese to Caribbean to Nigerian, all within one class. To me, right, I, didn't, I didn't even know, I didn't even know too much about race at such a young age. I was just like, either you're a prick or you're not a prick. Literally. And that person happens to be this person as well. Li but literally. You go out to these shires and you really, for a second, it, it's, it's the whole re-evaluation of like, oh shit, they actually will try and call me Black Ray. Or they'll try and like, <laughs> oh, it's like, oh, you're my first black friend. And sometimes you're <laughs> like, yo, actually, I don't even know if it's, I don't even know if I'm, I'm not, like, you, who else who would you have had to integrate with before... You, you would have even understood that you could be friends with someone black. Exactly. So it's, I don't know, it's that weird space, bro. It's, it, it, I, I, that's exactly what I'm saying, that whole kind of dynamic of you being foreign. And it was and it was harder for me because, okay, so just context, because when I was living in East London, we kind of moved about, but when I first went to my school in East London, there was it was a, there was a lot of Asians in the community. There wasn't the majority, but it was, there was quite, it was quite a concentrated community. So what started happening, and which is weird thinking back now, is that, there'd be like race clashes between like the blacks and the whites versus the Asians. It's, yeah. it's strange, bro. So so then when I moved to Wood Green and it was like predominantly African, like you said, Caribbean, and I'm like a, around like 
black people. I felt comfortable. Like mm -hmm. I felt really at home and my family was close, you know, my other cousins. So, so then going from there to have to go to Middlesbrough and be like, oh man, um, like, I'm, I'm, you know, I can't deal with this shit. You know what I'm saying? I was home and I, you know, I just finally found somewhere where I belong. You know, I found an identity and you want to put me in here. Yeah. Man. And what would you say kind of moving around all of those kind of years? Like, because obviously you said you were in Ghana, you're moving around East London and you spent a year here in Middlesbrough. Would you say that stuff like shaped you in a, in a, in a, in a different way? Did that, did that help you kind of start sitting with your pen and pad like and start thinking of ways that you wanted to, to start writing? Um, I'll tell you an interesting thing here. Yeah. Like I didn't listen to hip hop music. I, obviously everyone listened to hip hop, but I didn't really listen to hip hop like music, like lyrics, music lyrics until I was in yeah 10 i think so obviously everyone listened to the two parks and lauren hill and stuff like that but i listened to jay-z blueprint for the first time so but prior to that um i was like i was in the in the process of moving about what really um um kind of was cultivating me was that reading spirit like i really loved reading and what moving about kind of did for me was me to have a constant that was distinct from a lot of my peers so when I came to North London or Inwood, or, or I was in Wood Green, a lot of my friends didn't read books like that. And if I'd just been around maybe the, the, um, them all the time, I wouldn't have cultivated that love for like fantasies and novels and all that kind of stuff. So um, so it wasn't it was just absorbing a lot of experiences. But I didn't start writing until like year ten. That's when I first I was like, what's this? Oh, this guy's writing lyrics and he's talking about. And the synergy was crazy because you got Jay spitting about like economics and people mm. out the window selling the sofas and you can see it where you are. Mm. And for me, that was like, that was as powerful as reading. No, I hear that completely, man. And you know what you were saying about reading? Like, and it's weird because I only discovered some weird fact like the other day and it was because I was helping someone else out. They were doing this whole thing on empathy and like how men are basically less likely to be empathetic or we develop it a little later than maybe our female counterparts. Yeah. And they said one of the links was to do with reading non-fiction, like people, young boys don't read fiction books anymore. Or oh. they get to like the age of 11 and 12 and then they stop reading fiction. And it's just usually like, yo, like we're going straight in with like biographies and Yeah, like, and how do we make money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, you know, money, yeah, yeah, what is it? So they, they leave that and obviously what ends up happening and like, oh bro, it's so weird. Like knowing what I know now, like I could look back and I could say like, really like if you could like cultivate a love of reading like that can open so many doors and not just even just how you write how you think like there's there's worlds in books that you would just never be able to imagine Real and talk, bro. Th this is the problem i don't know if i look back and i was like i was majorly encouraged to read like you'd go into school and you'd see it as a chore not yeah. rather than it being like oh man no we just need to find a book that's going to light light up your soul do you know yeah. what I mean? Maybe they don't even have the capacity to do that. But I'm, 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 the fact that you said you managed to find that within yourself, like that, that's big, man. And that's definitely something which, like, you can look back and say it's tied into to, to some of your successes that you've achieved in life so far. A hundred and ten percent. A hundred and ten percent. And it's mad because you don't realize it until you're a lot older. And then people start saying to me, because to be honest, bro, I'll be honest. Like people say to me, I'm articulate. But the thing is, I knew a lot of these words like growing up from reading, but I never started using them until I was older because there was no context for them. Mm. So it's, it's very, very, it's, it's, really, it's really like, it's really a transformative kind of experience yeah. being able to, like you said, being able to discover those places inside books. And I wish more people shared it. But like you said, the practicality of, of life or like, situation takes over and it's like you gotta read rich dad poor dad you gotta read 48 yeah, laws but it's just one of those things like you from obviously you moving about and you kind of like finding these spaces like obviously you went off to to university to to study law was it 
Yeah, bro. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where where was that? Up in Sheffield. Yeah, Sheffield. Yeah, Sheffield. University. It seems like I know too much, but I just picked it up it's from important. your actual. Ja- <laughs> it's like yo, and you're wearing that red jumper, <laughs> <laughs> and your hair was like skin fit. Ah. That like, went that deep, but it was just one of those. So like, if I'm really dating back, yeah, if I'm dating back, like I remember, like legitly remember, because I was in uni at the time, and it was like this is when things could go super viral on Facebook, yeah. and it's like one of those moments, and I think. For anyone who was studying at Uniland, who, who who basically felt at different points like, what am I doing this for? Or, you know, it might be exam season and you just start questioning everything or you might have just finished exams or you missed the coursework deadline. This to me kind of like popped up this video in particular that I'm talking about, the why I hate school, but love education video. Yeah. Um, popped up on Facebook and I remember like I'm I'm I, I'm I'm a man for quotes and I'm a man for all of these profound ways of thinking about stuff. So when that came up, I bro, you fully had me. You fully lost me. Like, what was the process into kind of because you, you you created this? Like, tell me about how that came about. Ah, uh, bro, yeah, and no, I love that you say that, bro. Because it was I real, thought... bro. It's part. It's part of the fabric of like. Trust me, bro. I remember watching it on my little Dell computer because it weren't MacBook then for me, but I had my little <laughs> Dell. <laughs> Life, well, life weren't treating me like that yet. I weren't ready. Nah, yet, I hear like, that. I hear that. It's real. And it came, it was real, bro. I just remember like saving it in like one of my bookmarks for like a motivational time. And it's, it's sometimes, obviously, there's loads of people that resonated with. And I'm sure we can talk about like, we had like two million views in three days and all of these people who were listening to it. So it, it obviously weren't alone, bro. Like you put something out into the world that people needed to hear at a time that they needed to hear it. So like what yeah how did that kind of come about like um um yeah no I love that you say that because I feel like you know a, a lot of people have said that to me and now that they're a lot older I can really appreciate it because I feel like I captured a moment in a lot of people's lives and as an artist that's kind of like a big deal you know to be able to someone can revert a specific moment in their life back to what you made in it so for 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 me that that was just my experience bro it was literally me coming out of university imagine this year like. I've, um, I, I've, I, um, so I've had lots of jobs, but I didn't have. I had my first job the summer before I graduated, and my first job was in construction. So like, you know, doing laying bricks, doing all that kind of stuff. Them times I'm just studying. Before, a, yeah, you studying a law degree and just before graduation, yeah. Literally, that was the summer before graduation. That was kind of like I just got with my girl, who's my wife, and she was giving me like, you need to do something, you know, make money. And I've I've never had a job up until that point. So I get my first job at that time, and this job is shit. I'm thinking, what am I doing? So this is, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to finish uni and, you know, things will pick up. I go back to uni, I graduate, and then my first job after that is working in um, in, in door-to-door services. You know what I mean? And mm. I got swindled. I worked there for like two months, bro. Like, <laughs> bro I, I worked there for like two months, you bro. You got swindled. What they I made got, you bro, think? They, they sold you the big dream, though. Bro, they you know it. how it was. Like, there's no limit on your earning. Why would you limit yourself? You can earn this much, blah, blah, blah. For two months, I worked there, bro. I didn't see a single paycheck, yeah? But it got so bad that one morning I woke up, yeah? Like, bro. And I, my legs, I couldn't... My, my legs were in pain. Like, I couldn't walk. I had to take a week off. And... And I couldn't afford the travel. My grandma gave me her freedom pass. You remember the freedom passes? Yeah, they're still so could, here. They're still oh, they're free day. She yeah. gave me the freedom pass so I could get around, didn't it? Um, so, so yeah. So, um, so then after that, I leave that job. And my next job after that is Sainsbury's. And this time I'm doing a spoken word thing. I mean, I'm trying to push it. And Sainsbury's is conflicting. So I got fired from that eventually. Mm. Then my next, my next job after that was a cleaning job. And I'm thinking like, 
these jobs are all just whack. I'm supposed to be like at least qualified to do something else. Mm. So I was thinking like, and I was seeing people come in all the time who'd graduated in this, graduated in that, and done all these things. So at that time, I started to see this conflict between like what we'd gone to be educated for and, and what we were reaping as a result of it. So then after that, fast forward a few more jobs, I end up in Nike town. And then in between that period, I really started reading, you know what I mean? So I'd read in the kind of books that we were talking about, the non-fiction books, the ones that started to open up the world to you, you know what I mean? And I started to realize that there was a lot of frustration in me that this doesn't make any sense. I spent all this time in education and everyone around me stacking trainers, educated. Either they're graduated or they're going to graduate and they're studying out. So it was just a manifestation of all those experiences. And it was like, I've got to show a man the game, do you understand? Mm. And, and that's kind of like where that poem came from. Yeah, and what did you like? Because definitely, like, I was going to even say that whole process of you working in like all of these jobs that arguably like you didn't need a degree to go and work in. Like, would you say that they were like humbling experiences? Like, because... Um, yeah, definitely. I can I can almost think back to myself when I when I was. It's 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 that weird confliction, like you said, and it. There's moments where when I'd left uni, I'd be working. So say for example, one of the jobs. So I was working for NHS, which was fine for a bit, but I yeah. left NHS and I started working for O2. And um, it was long story short, but anyway, I was working in an O2 store, and there were days where it would be like, oh, this is sick. Like as in the people I'm working with, we're yeah. having a joke time. And then there's other days where you're just like, you felt like obviously there's that deserving you're not entitled to anything in this life at yeah. all like but there's a small part of you that's like you know the hard work that i've put into this or the hard work i've put into life up until this point um this doesn't necessarily like i said equate to what i feel the reward should be exactly um but like i said that it's, it's then at that moment the kind of internal dialogue that you either have that could either um, allow yourself to be at peace with it and understand that maybe this is a passing time and that there's something to still be learned in that or it's that flip side where you start getting kind of irate and don't know what to do and you get this pent up energy of like you feeling like you deserve more but feeling like you're stuck. Um, so I just said that as in like, do you did you find that that whole period was quite humbling for yourself or? Um, or it really? was extremely frustrating. I feel like I'm a humble, I, I feel like, it, I mean, bro, there were some instances that really yeah, put into perspective. I think there, like, bro, there was one time where someone took a dump in the shower at the gym I was cleaning at. <laughs> And I had to clean that, do you know what I'm saying? And bro, like, I don't think you can get any lower than, than that in terms of like having to know that, okay, I've paid my dues. Yeah. So it, 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 it was very, yeah, I guess it was in that, in that respect. If for lack of a better word, yeah, I guess it was. Mm, mad. And then, so what, you, you, you've basically now channeled all of this into, you're like, cool, let me start writing this, this, this piece that, um, I, why I hate school, but love education. And then you, you, and then what, what, what was the process? You're like, I'm actually going back to the front of the place that took three years of my life to, to, to go and recite this poem of spoken word. No, I, I, I didn't even yeah. go um Wolverhampton um um college, you know. I didn't even go oh, there. I um, thought that was Sheffield. No, 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 the jumper thing. Thought, yeah, yeah, nah, nah, nah. Uh, you were just in front of a library. Nah, it, yeah, it was it was <laughs> Wolverhampton College, and um, shout out to the um to the director Kevin on that one. The jumper thing is funny because I remember when I first started saying to to my boy um, in uni, I said, oh, I'm going to do the poetry and I'm going to wear. So what I used to do is a lot of people don't know this. I used to go to different universities because that was the only place like that it was really popping in it. And I used to say to them, um, instead of paying me money, yeah, give me a little like travel and then give me your university jumper. So I, there was a point where I had like the jumpers of bare different universities. It was kind of like a little thing I was doing in it. So that was in front of um, Wolverhampton College. But up until that point, I'd started to create this narrative within within my art where I was the student who kind of 
Um, I mean, and, and it's and it came from my little sister. You know, I mean, we. Um, um, how do I explain this? Uh, I used to listen to Taylor Swift, like early days Taylor Swift, innit? And I remember, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, early, I like early country stuff, music. Yeah, 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 early not, days. Not, I like not country stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, she, she went pop. But I like country music in that sense. Yeah. And I, I remember seeing her, because I was heavy on YouTube at the time, and I remember seeing her comment on one of her posts, and it said, Taylor Swift knows how every single teenage girl feels, innit? Mm-hmm. And, and I remember saying that to my sister, and I was like, that's such a powerful thing to represent. And I was like, what What do I represent in that way? And she was like, um, you're kind of like a student that failed in it, I suppose. You're kind of like the student that passed everything, but then failed at everything, if that makes sense. Because you passed everything academically, but you failed, that would be perceived as a failure in life, innit? because you're doing all these jobs. So um, that became a theme in my work, you know, that became a kind of like recurring um, way for me to view stuff. Mm-hmm. So I remember, um, watching this video why i hate um religion but love um jesus so and and it kind of so it was kind of like an amalgamation of those two thoughts and i was like how do i encapsulate my narrative in that same story so then it was like cool visually where does this need to be and the director kevin my guy he was just like let's put it in front of the college and we we filmed that video twice we filmed it twice mm. it was it was it, 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 it was it, seamless it, it was what a run like literally two run throughs and then you were ready to go no bro we filmed it once and then we went home. I was waiting for him to edit. He said, "Bro, you need to do it again." <laughs> I thought you meant like we just filmed it twice. On no, the spot. bro. <laughs> I, need to, I had to go and do it again, bro. Well, what was wrong? Was it just shoddy, shoddy? He like... said, "Yeah, the sync was off. This was blah blah blah." So Loki, so, it was Kevin's fault. I, I, partly Mike. The things I didn't really. I, to this day, I hate having to memorize and um, poems to sync. Yeah. Because the thing is, when I say it first time, I'm trying to say it with some degree of emotion in it. Mm. It's not as calculated and as paced as like someone might do in their music in it. We had to go and shoot it again. And I was like, this is long, and and it was it, yeah, it was very very long. So when did you when did you realize like hold on a minute, I might be onto something here. Like this is a major. Like when did you realize this this is like blown up or this had attracted at least a large amount of people to it. When can you remember what what that was like? Uh, specifically, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember the specific moment. So what happened? Yeah, around the same time that that video dropped, um, I was getting fired from my job in it. Um, so I was getting fired from my job, and you, they give you like a two week notice in it. Um, not two, um, like a two weeks off, like a notice period. So you go and you come back, and they do an investigation in it. Mm. So in between that two weeks, that's when I actually dropped the video. So I dropped the video in between that time. And I'd come back for um, the first week I've dropped it. The views are going up like 50k in it. And I come back for that time and I'm in the lunch hall. And one you comes up to me and says, oh, you're fired. What are you going to do now, innit? And I said to him, oh, you know, I do YouTube a little bit, innit? And he was like, okay, cool. Like, what's your thing? And I said to him, oh, check out this video I've done. So I, this time I hadn't really checked the video that day. And, and he takes the phone from me and he looks at it and he goes, Raw, 200k people, what? that's mad. And obviously this was them times as well, innit? Yeah, big and I thought, views. And I thought, raw, that's a lot of views, you get what I'm saying? So so then it was like, so then it was like, oh damn, like this might actually go, you know what I mean? And for a long time, anyone that you could talk to knows that I'd been trying to hack YouTube. Like that was my passion. Like I'd written <laughs> a million views on my wall. Like that was my aim. Like that was the thing I was trying to do. No flute. So this was like, it was going and yeah, and, and it went. But a lot of people think like, the thing is, when you go viral first time, a lot of people think, yeah, like that's it, you're clearing it, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm. But you can go viral off a video and people don't really know your name. Yeah. So it, so that video went viral and it was like in America everywhere, but I'm still in the same situation. So it's, it's only, it wasn't until two videos later when I dropped I Will Not Let An Exam Result decide my fate, yeah. then everyone was like, 
whoa, like, this guy's on it, like, yeah, man, he's sick, this is, like, spoken word, no one does this, you know, like, what he's talking, and that's when it just became, like, a different entity, and that's when my life really just became, like, different, you know, we thank God. Mad, and we do, because that's another big video as well, I will not let exam result decide my fate, and you can see the theme, like you said, that constant one where you're having that discussion with your sister, and she's like, it's 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 like you, you, you've succeeded, but still failed, and, mm. like, it, that was that was kind of what the narratives that you were kind of pushing through all of the spoken word afterwards is yeah that, would you say that was the the, the goal yeah bro I, mm -hmm. I think from a very early age I, I mean even to this day and this is what one i was speaking to my friend friends the other day and he was like you're very like you're like a master of like understanding your niche in it and for me i've always been about that before the term micro influencer was a thing i was always like um i want to be successful yeah I don't want to have to follow trends and be this and it be a popularity contest. I always wanted to know what I'm very good at, who I speak to and really hone in and maximise that. So that was the early, that was a very like early case study for, for, for that mentality. Off the back of that, like literally you said, so what, two, three videos later, did what was what was like the first thing afterwards like were you approach because you were starting to get approached by different people and I'm sure over the years like the momentum was picking up can you remember like some of because I, I saw a, a, a talk that you've done with like Ted and X and the house at the House of Parliament and you gave this really powerful speech about following the leader and how we all grew up wanting to be the Red Power Ranger but <laughs> um, I was like yeah you know what low key they did but the black one was hard as well so. <laughs> I was like yeah 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 but the black one was hard but you know no we all grew up to and the idea that um yeah they teach you how to do everything but follow your heart so like what was what was the kind of the opportunities that came off the back of that and some of the things that you were like wow this is a moment and a half um i think like so basically that's the third video i say that but that's the third video out of like 70 or 80 videos i posted on youtube <laughs> let's get context in it because you said but, you've been trying to hack it right all been this time grinding. You know what I mean? I was mm. on YouTube from early, like, but what happened was, bro, like, everything changed. Like, one of the things I met a guy, a good friend of mine now, an investor, and he was like, I'm going to give you 20 grand to travel around the world for 80 days. Like, I want you to get experience and see what you make. And imagine, that's me, bro, I, I kid you not, up until that point, I travelled, um, so I travelled to Ghana because we used to go there. My parents lived there. I used to go there every summer. My dad lives there. But then also, I'd gone to New I'd snuck away to New York with my girl because she was, like, during my final <laughs> year. But up until that point, those were probably, like, there's probably two or three times I travelled. And then in the next eight, three months, you're telling me I can go all over the world. An investor said, I will give you 20 grand. You just can travel the world and do what with it? Yeah, like t t content, meet different people, gain more experiences and create art around it. So it was kind of like, so, um, so it, well, it was two people that actually gave the money. So it totaled up 20 grand. But it was like, first of all, I hadn't, I hadn't seen 20K before up until that point. So I was already thinking, bro, like, I'm trying to pocket this, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is an opportunity. But also, like, we're going to see the world. And that's the journey I went on. And, you know, like, it was crazy. Met investors, like, Will Smith asked to meet me. And this is before he was on, like, Insta like that. He mm. was like, yeah, I want to meet you. So we went and we sat down. You know, this is before. And then I'm going to, like, you know, we're going to Hollywood. We're going to, like... Israel, Palestine, you know, we're seeing the world, um, South Africa. Yeah. And when I'm going to these places as well, it's not like I'm just going there, like people are responding to what I do. So this is like, bro, and, and this is me coming from London, like Wood Green, innit? Mm. So I'm seeing like, raw people are really, really taking. So yeah, so everything, that, that was, everything was different. You know I mean? Houses of Parliament came in, like teachers are asking me to do talks, you know, I'm going on radio, TV, you know, it, it was a very like big cultural, cultural moment you know what i mean um for me i think for, for the for the art form and also like kind of for online youtube was really in its inception and it was really growing in that time you know it was really 
becoming what it is today, isn't it? Mm. And you, you, just because you skimmed over it, but the the Will Smith, bro, how did you end up just having d- dinner with him? Did he literally, had he watched one of your videos and he knew that you were basically coming to Hollywood? Well, he said one of my videos. Yeah, he said one of my videos. On yeah, he said it. Um, and I remember waking up and my boy Ayo called me he's like, oh, you know, someone just said, and this is before he was online like that. So he was yeah. a big deal. You know, he just said your video. I said, you're nuts, bruv. You're buzzing. <laughs> bro, I turned it on, bro. I said, what? Like, do you get what I'm saying? I was like, oh my, you know. So then he'd seen one of my videos. He reached out through someone. And then when I was coming to LA, they were just like, yo, we got to make this connection happen, man. Oh, man. And what did you actually, what, you met him and you sat down and ate? Yeah, we chilled for like two hours or so, man. It was dope still. Yes, man, like, um, bro, yeah. So that was all mad, bro. So obviously you were traveling the world and you come back and then in your mind, we like, I need to find a way to keep doing this as a full time. Like, what what did you think you were going to do to like start making this so you had a future in it? Like... So, I mean, it was continued pursuit of what I was doing before, like just putting the stuff online, working it out. Um, but at the same time, um, I had a bit more money now in terms of like people were booking me. I had the YouTube revenue coming in. I'd mm. signed with like, an, um, with, like a, um, a network, YouTube network. So it was like, okay, things is coming, things is making, like I'm actually building a business. I mean, bittersweet though, because the moment I came back, and I guess everything has a season, the moment I came back, we got kicked out of our house in Wood Green, innit? So literally, I came back from traveling and it was like, um, um, yeah, we need to find somewhere new to stay. You know what I mean? Mm. So from then it was like, and, and this is like a series of issues that's kind of like compounded itself. Like we lived in ends for ages. And if you know anyone um, in ends, like you're always back behind on your rent and, you know, you've always got this and, you know, all them kind of issues in it. Mm. So it, it was kind of like, but it was like, I, I, I took that transition hard, but I took it in a way where it was like, this is a new beginning. There's new opportunities. So while I'm getting kicked out of my house, I'm finding somewhere to live by myself. But at the same time, I'm, I'm going into meetings with people that are like, you know, that can are teaching me stuff. And one thing I've always been, I've been a big student. So I started to be like, how do I make this, this a business? You know what I mean? I started to learn about like brands, working with brands, sponsorships, like, you know, doing like talks, all them kind of stuff. I really learned the industry during that period. And what would you say like one of, one of maybe one of your proudest moments pretty much in that period there because you, you did quite a few things as well as like your I was going to get onto your not a role model headline show in 2016 yeah 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 that was 20 yeah oh man I love that show bro and that that was what was this off the back of in your mind you were like all right cool what I need to do is I want to find a way to connect with an audience and what on, on a larger scale and then you managed to put that together yeah bro and a shout out to everyone that really helped me make that together because I couldn't have done that by myself bro but um, yeah, it was kind of like friends and people that supported me coming together. I put all my own money up. It was expensive. But I, basically, I went to go and see... Um, I, actually, I don't think I told this, but I went to go and see um, um, Kevin Hart in the O2, innit? <laughs> and, I, and I was just like, bro, like this is what I do. Um, for context, when I first started out, my biggest kind of like... I, I, like for me, I think one thing I've always... I've managed to have an advantage against people is a lot of people say I have a good stage presence. And for me, that came from when I started doing a spoken word, I used to watch a lot of stand-up comedians. So even Ola, who was like, um, he was my mentor, he's a comedian. He was like, he used to take me to comedy clubs. I used to go to comedy clubs like re- relentlessly and watch how they perform on stage, watch what they do. So before the digital thing, on stage, it was like, it was a big thing for me, like being on stage and being able to kind of capture an audience. So I went to watch Kevin Hart and I was like, man, like, I really need to do more of these kind of like one man kind of things. and. You know, this is the level I always dreamed of it happening, but now the climate is there because people have a bit of money to spend on it. 
So mm. I saw that and I was like, yeah, let's do something, you know? And and that's where the, the Not A Role Model came from, to be honest. Did you manage to sell it out? Sold out, it was like 800 yeah. people, bro. And that was, and the thing about that, yeah, it was like, that was the catalyst. After that, we toured it a little bit in some universities and stuff, but that was the catalyst for like me really, and this is why I really wanted the theatre as well. That was a catalyst for me doing a lot of my own kind of like, things without it being restrained, didn't it? I was going to say, you've, you've kind of touched on something in terms of like ownership and stuff. Yeah. That you realised that maybe a little bit earlier on, you wanted to put on these shows where you were funding the actual show and yeah. where you were in these, you, you basically, you could uh, employ a team or bring together some people who, who saw the vision and make that work under your umbrella. Exactly. Mm. And what, who's that encouraged you or did you clock earlier on when you were, when people were, when you're working with other brands and so forth that you you didn't have levels of ownership i mean yeah that was always the game you know i mean like we always talk about ownership that's always the long-term objective but we're not really sure when we can implement it and to what extent we can implement it so for me i was still very much like i spent a lot of my career still very much building off the back of opportunities that were coming but it was kind of like like as an asset i need more assets you know i mean youtube is cool but as a YouTuber, you end up working for YouTube, which is not a bad thing. You get paid handsomely, etc. But I'm not like a mass producer at that rate. I don't want to follow trends. You know that there's stipulations for working on YouTube. You have to release a certain amount of time, a certain amount of content, you know, certain tags, certain things. There's kind of like a structure to becoming a YouTuber. Before there wasn't that. I could do what I wanted to do and there was like more creative freedom. So I was like, how do I cultivate that in, a, in an asset that I own, that I can tour, that I can distribute? That was... The show, so it, it, but ownership has always been a, a key thing behind me, and it, it's it's kind of been like something that's really helped me to, to gain success in, in in where I am right now. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's always been at the forefront of my mind. But what you realize is the higher you go up the ranks, the harder it is to own stuff, mm -hmm. and you don't realize that until the doors get shut in your face and you have to start spending more money. So yeah, ownership was was the, was the catalyst for that for that for that endeavour. The people who are coming to your shows and who are really in love with your spoken word and your poetry, these are these are the communities that you've built. And yep. they're essentially, they're connected to you. Like, so if you can find a way to, to, to remove anything in between and just kind of bring you and them together, then naturally that's always going to be something which is, is going to be beneficial to yourself and well, them, in fact. Yeah, I'm telling you, the algorithms are killing people, bro. Like, imagine you get 50,000 followers on Instagram and you have to pay for them to even see your content. You understand? Like sure. the algorithms came in as this kind of like free space where you can access people, but now they're taxing you to access people that are your fans, bro. Wow. And then on top of that, they're implementing metrics that are kind of like, uh, kind of like self-imposed. Like Spotify makes a platform. It's a great platform, yeah. But then they say this is what a stream is, and no one challenges that. There's no kind of context for how that even makes sense. But it's like me open like. Like me opening like a space and you can sell burgers in that space. I say every time you sell one burger, that's half a eat. So then and you have to get at least 10 eats before you get the amount of one burger sold. Yeah. So it's kind of like the algorithms, they're great and stuff, but we have to be very aware of how how we can leverage them in um how they're being leveraged against us. You know what I mean? Mm. So it was kind of like we want to access our audience directly. And, and I think, I thought the show was a great way to do that. And, and, and definitely, I, and no doubt that you're probably going to go on and do them anyway, bro, because you're, you're, you're dropping some knowledge still for a fact. Um, but it was, the thing that I was curious about is again, like last year, there was the How I Became a Superhero tour. Yeah, and you bro. were going off, bro, you, were, you had Brixton Academy, you're doing pro, promo, press runs. And this was the time that I wanted to get you on Peace of No Mind. I was like, yeah. damn, I want to see and hear about 
because I I felt like the messaging behind it all, like the idea that um, how like you 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 described the show as it being like life changing, and that you wanted to to kind of understand the the, the premise of being a superhero, or that everyone's yeah. a superhero. So the theme was like. Um... Yeah, Hibas, you know, the theme was about everyone kind of being like uh, own superhero, not a role model was about you not looking to me to, to answer your questions. Hibas, the theme was about you can look externally or we all have kind of have the ideas, the, the ways to, to become superheroes. And it, for me, it was kind of like me going around the world and people saying to me, you saved my life. You know, I was thinking about this, but you saved me, did that. And I was kind of like, when I was young, my dream was to be a superhero. This is like no bants. Like I was, I was obsessed with comic books. I said I'm going to be a superhero. Until this day, I even watch videos about real life superheroes to this day because I find it hilarious. Because that was me. But this was kind of like you can be a superhero in many ways. The same way I could say like Jay Z, the Blueprint saved saved me as a creative. You know. So it was kind of like trying to tap into that and kind of bring that to the forefront and show in my journey how that manifested. You know through art and through visuals and through sound and everything like that. So that would have been like a beautiful, beautiful experience. Mm. And then uh, what, what what ended up happening though? Because obviously like it, it did, it, you were going on the, the, the promo runs and it looked like it, again, this was going to be like a major experience for everyone. And bro, I was, I was, I was game. I was going to buy some tickets and check it out as well. So it was very much like that was going to be like, a, for me, I've always prided myself on pushing boundaries. And I feel like mm. for poetry or spoken word or whatever, that would have been, a cultural shifting moment, mm. that opportunity to sit on that platform and say, this is the art form. And I had a lot of poets that people respect as well, coming ready to prepare to come and like display, display like their, their, their talents. And, you know, I was still looking for people, still figuring it out. Mm. But um, yes, yeah, so I think, but at the end of the day, regardless of anything that happened, what it comes down to is, like I said, it comes down to ownership. It comes down to, there's a promoter, there's, there's a venue, there's all these things that we don't have control over. And I'm subject to their to, to to their opinions or their 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 thoughts. And I feel like that's the biggest le lesson I learned there that this ownership journey is is not over yet. Mm. Um, and that's how that's really the lesson I want people to take for it. When I get a chance to go into detail, and I will, but I just want to tell it in a way which is kind of like articulate and it's kind of like mm. educational. But it, it's like, the, and like I said, the higher you go, the less you're you're allowed to own shit. And now it's like, if I want to own stuff, just because of the places I'm trying to go and where I am, I'm spending, it's a lot more money, it's a lot more investment, and it's a lot more trying to convince people because we get into meetings now, yeah? And we and they bring us into the nice offices, you know, when they they give us the coffee and the tea, and, I, and I'm looking at the man next to me, and I see that he's already shuffling because he don't know about this ownership thing anymore because we're in the good place. <laughs> he's like, the ownership don't seem as glamorous if we got to go back to the trenches and hustle this out in my tiny office. In, in in Holborn or whatever, like the rewards so, of ownership, that that in terms of the time frame that it takes to reap those rewards, as as compared to maybe signing or being with someone, might be a lot longer. And exactly, you know what I mean. And the offices are nice, bro. You yeah. know what I mean. They're, they're nice. <laughs> the I'm not gonna lie. The offices, are the good, offices bro, are, <laughs> bro. They're nice, bro. And the, and the checks and the, and the checks look look looked tempting when you've never seen opportunities before. These these are the kind of things that sway you. But it's like I, I've got a bigger vision for what we can achieve. But at the same time, it's like we have to have that patience, but it's hard, you know, it's hard. That struggle is hard because mm. the higher you get, the stakes are higher. And what I'm finding is like, it's harder to find people to ride with you. And I need my peoples, you know I mean? I need my peoples beside me because that's when I feel comfortable. And that's when I know that when our back's against the wall, no one's gonna like, 
no one's gonna fault her because we've been here before. Like when I talk to my boys, one of my creative di directors, we can say no to an opportunity because, bro, like all of us have been broke before. It's no difference. So we can say no and wait for a further opportunity. But like you said, it's it's hard, man. It's it's hard. But ownership is everything, man. I I think that's what it is. Not saying don't partner because, like you said, there's opportunities in partnering with people who have more resources and you can learn from. But at the end of the day, like assets, plant the roots for them assets mm. because that's what's going to give you like generational wealth and that's what's going to give you legacy for your children, you know? A hundred percent. Like when you're like looking back over like this whole, your your whole kind of career up until now, and I know you said the word ownership's been probably one of the key, but what would you say is like something you've learned about like navigating through the world? Um, Navigating through the world? Mm. Listen, bro. Like listen, innit? Um, I think... One thing I realise is we have all the answers in it. Like, I'm one of them people. I have all the answers. But the reality as well is that different spaces op operate different ways in it. And it maybe it's an art of war or whatever, but you need to understand the spaces you're in and be able to leverage them in it. Like, the, the whole kind of, like, I've got a very fuck it mentality sometimes, but I've learned to be like, that doesn't get you anywhere um, if, if, you, if you don't understand the space you're in. Mm -hmm. So one thing I've learned is that when you go into these spaces, understand what works for the people there, why it works, and how they take advantage of it. So you can learn to use it in your own endeavors. That's one of the biggest things that I've learned. Like, cause I'm not, I'm not like, you know what I mean? I'll go into a space, I'll learn, you know, take lessons, understand the world operates in a certain way. You may have one view of the world, but the world operates in a certain way. And the only way you're gonna maximize your opportunity is learning to how to leverage that. Man, damn, you're dropping all the bars, bro. Like, and this, and nah, this don't is- gas me, bro. No, you're dropping all the bars, bro. Like, is this is the thing. Like, obviously, I was even gonna say, like, you've what well, you've got a podcast at the moment, right? And yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And it's 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 it's, it's, it's seven figure po podcast. Seven figures, you're yeah. Touching what there's what bars and bars and bars are dropping on that, right? Yeah, well, I mean, other people, smarter people than me, are doing that. You know, what I mean, not, I mean, more people who are experts in their industry. You know, what I mean, I don't know if they're smarter, but they're definitely <laughs> smarter in some areas, bro. And the experts in the industry, and I'm getting them to come in and break down things, you know what I mean? Things that I don't understand, things that our community may not understand. I'm trying to, like, disseminate information, bruv, to empower people. Yeah, and would you say this is kind of where you're probably steering to? Are you still working on spoken word um, kind of pieces? Are you still working on you being on centre stage? Or is it, what are you thinking? Where is it, What's what are you cooking at the moment? I mean, I'm, I'm still writing. I'm still heavily... So what I'm doing right now is I'm sharpening my tools, man. So I'm still writing, but what I've really got into is like long form writing in lit in, in the context of like literature and kind of like putting things together in a long form format. It's interesting. Like I mean, a couple publishers have spoke to me about different things, Jeez. all those kind of ventures. So I'm really every year I kind of like think about how can I expand my creativity because I want my toolbox to be big. So when I started on YouTube, it was this whole digital videography kind of like format which I feel set, set the template for a lot of how people create content um, in the digital space for spoken word. But then I moved more into like the live space and the speaking. I mean, before YouTube, I'd never um, done speaking like that, you know what I mean? So I started doing the speaking and presenting. Now I go into like, you know, we're going to massive companies and enterprises and I speak to them about building a brand, building a business, you know what I mean? These are like, like, into, like high level like conversations, you know, about how I started, all that kind of stuff. And then there was the, the live stage where it was like, how do I become more of a live performer? all that kind of stuff. And now it's more like, I've been so scared of, I'm not, and I'm not, not, I've been scared of the page for a long time just because there's a lot of scrutiny when it comes to it. And it's never really been my, my main form of like communication when it comes to poetry. I'm a speaker, I'm a, you know, I'm an orator. But also I feel like there's a lot of value in being able to contribute in that space, especially when I think about like, the things I see happening in publishing and the kind of ideas I have. 
But overall, so those are, that's the creative side. But overall, it's like, how am I building the infrastructure? How am I building the opportunity? So when the opportunities come, I can give them to the people that I want to give them to, or I'm able to kind of like create platforms. Because at the end of the day, the, the real success is having platforms that you can launch yourself and other people of production companies you know what i mean like i said theaters having having spaces you know and this is really what the business side of me is thinking how do i make these things and how do i make them sustainable and on top of that how do we make them empires mm -hmm. like it's all good when we're sitting there and it's like i want to write for for disney you know what i mean or i want to write for this but how do we create those infrastructures ourselves because i feel like we have the potential to create to tell just as profound and and culture shifting stories as 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 these come as these other companies have you know what i mean Definitely. so how do we build the netflixes the amazon and all these kind of things because those leave a lasting like cultural impact hey you're you're, you're saying it though you're saying it all bro oh, i was me, saying bro. wait what you have have you written anything about ownership and you i'm talking like spoken word bits about ownership not you know you know i haven't really you know that's an interesting thing because like i feel like everyone's echoing it i don't i don't know i haven't actually mm. i mean maybe in some of the pieces that people haven't seen but if you're talking like publicly nothing publicly no yeah what but i, what I was going to say brother I, what you, I feel like i would be kicking myself if i didn't get a chance for you to drop a little something you wouldn't drop any little something um oh um ownership since we're on the theme ownership own your shit you talking wave but the masters own your shit now i'm not saying that Tubman never freed the slaves, but decent grades is still minimum wage and not enough to buy a decent J's. Cause I've never seen a nine to five make B's and J's cause we play the sport, but they play the game. So every time I cop a brand new Tesla, Mr. Musk gets a brand new investor. So while my asset goes down in value, the value of his company goes higher cause they play, we play the sport, but they play the game. Cause how many youths you know that didn't turn sucker? So in one summer went from a young gun to a young gunner. Cause we play the sport, but they play the game. I can't even remember the rest of it. But Jeez, okay. No, yeah, you're okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you put me on the spot with the ownership stuff. Nah, yeah, sick. I, I, no, I, I like, no, I rate, no, I sit, no, this is it, bro. Like, hey, honestly, bro, you've been dropping some absolute bars, bro. Um, what was I going to say? Where can people find you? What, 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 what can people do if they want to kind of follow, follow your, your journey, bro? Is there anything that you would, you'd highly recommend they should follow or keep in mind? Um, Sully Breaks, you know what I mean? Um, Sully breaks on all so social handles, you know. Um, my podcast, yeah, Seven Figures, man. Seven Figures is something I'm really heavily invested in at the moment. So I feel like they can check that out and kind of get an insight into, like, where my head's at and kind of the things I'm talking about. Because obviously it manifests in the podcast. But also, you know, a lot of creative stuff coming down down the line, you know. Like, I'm working on, like I said, I'm working on long-form stuff, short-form stuff. And, you know, hopefully, you know, there should be another yes. show. Yes. All right. Well, bro, I'm definitely going to be following, brother. And I was going to say, like, before you go, and obviously it's been a pleasure to have you on today, bro. And I'm, I need to listen to Seven Figures, but it's one of these things. Before you go, there are three questions that I just want to quickly ask you, yeah? Cool, so, bro. First one is, happiest day of your life? Oh, man, I have to compete for two, man. It, it, it was either my wedding day. I was like so happy like that that was amazing and then the day my son was born kind of just like that was phenomenal you get what i'm saying Man. so i feel like they're tying for first place <laughs> all right they're, they're, they're two two i bro the answers that i would have given if they happened to me but neither have so yeah moving on oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, nah, I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. but um something that overwhelms you 
something that overwhelms me. Um, um, it's family, you know, family's important to me. I don't think I talk to it about enough, but just thinking about the future, you know, like the world, like, you know, I can't thinking about my son, even him going nursery, bro. You get what I'm saying? That's like a big deal for me, you know what I mean? So all of those emotions, just thinking about the future of my family and like, you know, what the world we're trying to create for them, sometimes that's like, that's a lot, you know? You know, just trying to be a, a better, like, you know, better like family, brother, husband, father, you know, a lot of the stuff that, you know, we, we leave to God, you know what I'm saying? These are not things that we have control of, you know? Yeah. I mean, we can we can we can control them, but it's like just being healthy and there and you know that kind of stuff. And finally, the best piece of advice that someone else has given you. Ah, oh. um, that's a tough one. I think my dad gave me like the best quote. Like I've had, I've carried it most of my life in it, but it's mainly it's about working hard. It's a bit long winded because my dad feels like he's a philosopher. But he always says it says I mean he's always going in, like he got me into like Greek philosophy and that stuff. But he was like. The height which great men attained or kept was not um, reached in sudden flight, but they, while the companions slept, toured upwards through the night. So that's basically about like, yo, you just got to grind while everyone else is, is, is sleeping. Mm -hmm. And then in the same breath, he gave me this other ones where he said, I don't even know if this is factually correct. Um, Archimedes, I think that Archimedes invented the lever, innit? And he said, and they said to him, um, how, um, when they asked him about the lever, he said, give me a lever and a place to stand and I'll move the world, innit? And I always kind of like say to people like, oh, give me a microphone and a place to stand and I'll move the world, didn't it? Man. So that's kind of like my personal kind of like philosophy that I got from him. Hey, yes. Hey, I might need to get your dad on peace of no mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nah, just... that, guy, that guy's a top con artist. Bro. He's got, <laughs> yeah, he's a top, he's, he's out here, man. He's, he's got the gift of the gab. You don't think I'm good? That guy is next level, man. <laughs> yeah, that guy is hey, nah, Sully, you're an absolute G, bro. Honestly, 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 it's been a pleasure to have you on today, bro. Oh my God, oh my God.